I uh, had the opportunity one time to sit across from a grown man as he wept uncontrollably in my office. And he came to me because I was the only pastor that he knew, but I was also the only friend that he had that didn't know his past and frankly was one of the very few people that could really care less what his past was. And the two of us sat across from each other and he shared all of the struggles that he was going through. His fiance had just recently left. He was raising his son by himself. The economy was failing. The family business had to take out a sizable loan just to pay that current month's bills. And if the business didn't pick up, they would have no money to put food on the table. His dad would lose everything that he had worked for and everyone in his family would then be unemployed. To make matters worse is my friend sat across from me and he told me about a, another friend of his that had gone out on a Friday night to be with some friends at a local bar. And a patron at that bar became pretty upset with things and a fight started and my friend's friend along with the, uh, the bouncers escorted the guy out and a few hours later when they left that customer was waiting for him, he shot him and he killed him. And my friend had tears continually falling on my office floor one after another and he told more stories of misfortune about his life and things that were st more stories about what was going on with his family. And one point he looked up at me and he said, Pastor Brian, when will it ever end? When will my life get better? When will bad stuff stop happening to me? And it's in these moments that as a pastor and as a friend uh, where you take this deep breath and it's almost like you allow the answer to come up to right about here and you pause and you'll just say this silent prayer and you say, Holy Spirit, whatever comes out of my mouth May it be your words. And so I said, first name, <laughs> I don't know if it gets better, but I can truly see where you are in your life right now. And um, our job today is not to make sure that your life becomes good, but to make sure that you're good, even if life isn't. So you see some of the things that my friend went through um, could have been avoided. Some of the things that he dealt with in his life was from his own doing. But my friend didn't come to me that day for advice. He came to me because he expected grace. My friend was in a deep depression and life had become bad. And I still to this day hear those words that are echoing through my mind. Pastor Brian, when will it ever end. I bet there's times in your life that you've asked that exact uh, same question. When is it going to get better? When is everything going to be right? Why do I keep missing up? How come life is so unfair? And I think all of us have been there needing help, seeking a safe place, spilling out our guts to somebody, confessing or admitting. And that means that chances are you will be the person 
someday sitting across from a friend of yours when they need grace. Maybe you might be the person that needs to talk, but you also might be the person that just needs to listen. And the healing that needs to take place starts when we sit down and we're open and we're transparent. And I hope that uh, you have found a safe place this month here. Uh, This month has been an incredible journey for us. I hope and and pray that the Lord has clearly spoken to you during this month. He has certainly been speaking to me. Uh, I've had an honest conversation with myself this month and uh, with Jesus about how I think about others, how I compare or how how I see others compared to how Jesus sees them. I've had that conversation uh, with Jesus and told him that I'm recognizing some of the masks that I tend to wear to hide the real me. I've identified short-term solutions that I tend to go to just to keep those deep problems at bay. And I've allowed the Holy Spirit to open up my eyes to the things that really get under my skin and seem to trigger those unhealthy emotions in me. So thank you for joining me on this journey here at PFN. Uh, Thank you for joining us online and being with us at home as well. It's not lost on me that you could have said, you know what, this is not for me. Uh, My toes are getting stepped on a little bit too much. Uh, Peace out, I'm out, right? I don't need to listen to this. So I want to tell you another story. Um, and this is the beauty of having my mom in the congregation is because I can tell stories of my past and she hears it for the first time and there's nothing that she can do about it, right? <laughs> Love you, mom. So uh, maybe she knows the story, I don't know. So it was junior year of college. My junior year was not a real good year for me. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know how to get out of it. I don't know what started, but uh, looking back on that junior year, I could tell you that I was probably in a very deep depression. Um, I couldn't place my finger on it, and I, I know that I couldn't change it. But this year, uh, my grades started to go down, and I started failing in, in uh, different things in life and in, in uh, college. But this particular year, I had a bio- biology course. Now, if you know me, I love science. I love biology. I grew up watching science shows on television, nature shows, and I love learning how the body works and how nature works and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I was going to really enjoy this biology class, but this biology professor was horrible. He was the worst professor that you could possibly imagine. So this biology course at SIU was also in the largest lecture hall on campus. And so that first day when I went into this class and stepped into that lecture hall, had more people in that lecture hall than the town that I grew up in. This lecture hall had over 500 people in it. Yes, I grew up in that small of a town. So there was standing room only that very first day. There wasn't enough seats for all of the students in that one particular biology class. But this guy was so boring. It was the worst. The most dry teacher you could ever imagine. And within it seemed like about a week or two, almost half of the students stopped attending the lecture. 
I tried to stick it out. My roommate was in this class with me and we would walk over to class, but this guy was so bad and was so boring that we could not take the torture of that class. And so we started skipping. And it started out, we go to about every other one, and then maybe once a week, and at best, by the end of the semester, we'd show up to class once a month. Now, we had a, a lab where it's, uh, my roommate and I were both getting an A in, but a big fat F in the lecture portion of this class. Um, we loved lab, although Pat and I did get in trouble for making our dissected frogs dance one time and across the lab uh, table. But uh, anyway, uh, we were getting a really low D in this class and we couldn't have a D. So we got this plan that the week before the semester was gonna end, that we drag ourselves to that lecture hall uh, to try to gain just a little bit of last minute information might give us something for that final exam and so we walked into that 500-person lecture hall, and you'd think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Seven students were inside. And so the professor walks in from the back, and his head just goes down. And he handed his assistant a stack of papers, and he asked her to hand them out to every student that was in the, the lecture hall that day. And he said, this has not been an easy year for us, has it? Nope, <laughs> it wasn't. And he said, thank you for sticking it out with me. Um, I looked over to my roommate. My roommate looked over to me and like, what's going to happen here? We haven't been sticking this out at all. We're just trying to salvage this. And it gets better. He said, you have stayed with me while most of your fellow students have left. And so the paper that we're handing out to you has every answer for the final exam. Got a C in that class. <laughs> so uh, let me just say to you, thank you for sticking this month out with us. In, in a way, today is you getting the answers for the final exam. Uh, today we're going to spend some time looking at God's response to our messed up lives that we live down here on earth. And we spent this whole month looking at our triggers and our hideouts and our masks and our biases. We, we've brought a lot of things to the surface. You and I have uncovered a lot of potholes and sinkholes and frankly, and kind of purposely, we have just left them there. Unless you have found a safe place to talk it out, unless you have found a safe place that you can come and, and to talk to somebody. And I hope that you have found that outlet here at PFN or you've joined when one of the Remax classes or you found a friend and you've been able to be open and honest or maybe you started counseling. And I applaud you for all those efforts. Great job. Well done. But today, as we learn what God offers us in response to our missy lies, this isn't met as a substitute to talk with other people. I think sometimes we think that God's just going to help us turn over a new leaf and we're just going to be great without any input or without any effort. There's a weight that is lifted when we bring our missiness to God's attention. But the Bible tells us that healing happens 
when we confess to one another. So I hope that you are, have been brave enough to be open with somebody else about maybe you know, some of the mental issues. And I hope that you are met in the exact same way that Jesus is going to meet you through grace and love. And I pray that you allowed yourself the freedom of being real. Because oftentimes I believe that we are scared to be open and transparent in front of other people because we fear their reaction. You have a quote in your handout today by the author Brennan Manning. And in one of his memoirs, this is what he wrote. Some may be offended in this ragamuffin memoir. Some might go as far as to call it ugly. But you see, that doesn't matter. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to the people who don't understand. That, yes, is grace. It's enough and it's beautiful. I love that, right? It's impossible to be ugly to somebody who gets you. It's impossible to be ugly to somebody who understands it's impossible to be ugly to somebody who is going to meet you with grace. No matter the problem, no matter the confession, no matter the revelation that we spring on Jesus, every single time he will meet us with grace. And so what is this grace that Jesus meets us with, right? There's a, I think there's this huge misconception about what grace is, and therefore also uh, we don't understand what grace is not. And the theology of our Nazarene church would tell us there's actually different kinds of grace, maybe three different kinds of grace. And Cheryl spoke about these a few weeks ago during Advent uh, when she preached. Maybe you remember a little bit about these. You can take these notes down if, if you'd like. The first one is called prevenient grace. Fancy word. Really just means this is what God does to us. Now I could take you to our Nazarene manual and I could read you what our Nazarene church says in our definition of prevenient grace. But don't tell anybody I actually like the Methodist version a little bit better. Okay. Um, I like what the Nazarene church uh, has uh, written, but I want you to listen to what the Nazarene or what the Methodist church uh, writes about prevenient grace. They say grace is a love that surrounds all humanity and precedes any and all of our conscious impulses. This grace prompts our first wish to please God, our first glimmer of understanding concerning God's will, and our first conviction of having sinned against God. God's grace also awakens in us an earnest longing for deliverance from sin and death and moves us toward repentance and faith. And all that may sound pretty churchy uh, to you, so I'm going to give you the Brian version of prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is the grace that God gives to us before we've ever made a decision to follow him. Some would also say that this is the type of grace that just opens up our eyes so that we can see our need for a savior, so that we can see a need for Jesus in the first place. 
In other words, we, have, we were so corrupt as humans that we would never see a need for a savior if Jesus hasn't pushed us or nudged us his direction. And so the next one of these is justifying grace. Some people would call this saving grace. Justifying grace is what God did for us. Dying on the cross, Jesus paid the price, paid the final price for all of the things that you and I have done, the sins that we have committed. He didn't have to. We would think that maybe he didn't want to, but he did. He wanted nothing more than to be that sacrifice for us. And in raising from the dead, Jesus showed us that we can overcome anything, even death, through our belief and our trust in him. Justifying grace, that saving grace, brings an order to the chaos of our life. It takes our sinful life and applies a gift of salvation to our souls. Justifying grace takes in the old self and leaves us with a new creation. And so the last grace that we need to learn about is sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace is what God does in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sanctifying grace is taking that new creation and applying the Holy Spirit to it, taking that new creation and allowing the Holy Spirit to uh, work and apply his power to our lives on a continual basis. Provenient grace is what has led us and uh, got us to turn our life over to Jesus in the first place. Justifying grace is Christ uh, accepting us where we are and offering us his salvation. But then sanctifying grace is Jesus's refusal to leave us where he finds us. God is in the business of continually molding us and perfecting us and transforming us. And that is his sanctifying grace. But the problem with, with grace is that a lot of times we see grace as just this, you know, get out of jail card, right? Or something that God gives us whenever we just need a, a quick fix or God just takes care of a problem or God just gives us forgiveness and we never have to re do anything else for that, right? No, we don't need God just to give us a quick fix for uncon uncomfortable consequences, right? And if we're not careful, we kind of see God's grace as that staples button, you know, the one I'm talking about, the easy button, that whenever we get into a bind in our life, if we just hit God's grace button, then everything is going to be okay. We have this clean start. We have this fresh uh, slate. Now, none of that is wrong. God does that for us. And if Jesus is a God of fresh starts. Yes, he is. But it, that doesn't tell the whole story of grace. The author Steve Carter puts it this way. The greatness of a sanctifying grace is found in God's incredible lifelong commitment to making us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. 
Do we get that? A lifelong commitment on God's side to make us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. So let me ask you, aren't you glad that God just doesn't find us where we are and then just leave us there? Aren't you glad that God continually, every single day, if we would allow him to, he works on us through his Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that the Lord sees through all that we try to present as real? He sees through it all. The Lord knows our soul. He knows the deepest parts of our soul. He knows what we may be trying to hide. He feels our pain, even when we try to hide it. See, we can't filter out what God sees in us. Made me think that we live in this world of social media, right? We have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, many, many, many more. I probably don't even know all of them, right? And through various media, we can post for the world to see this portion of our lives, right? But we don't post everything, do we? There's a whole lot of our lives that we don't put out there for everyone to see because we typically post this glamorized version of our life. See, I have yet to see somebody post a bad day. Not the funny bad day where, you know, they spilled paint or something and we can all laugh and say, ha ha, that's, that's, that's too bad for you. I'm not talking about that bad day. The emotional bad day. The really bad day. The missy bad days. So we don't tend to post all of our struggles. We don't post the pictures of our head down frustrated trying to figure out where the money is going to come from to pay the electric bill. We don't post that. We don't post a picture of our fight with our spouse. It's not like we get into an argument with our, with our wife and we say, well, you just hold it right there, honey, because I need to get a picture of this moment and post it online for everybody to see. We don't do that. Thank God we don't do that, right? We don't post for the world to see our addictions. We don't Instagram our potholes. We don't tweet about our sinkholes. Rarely will you ever see a picture of a, of a teenager hiding in a room because it's a whole lot easier to deal with life in there than it is to deal with the frankly confusing and mean world out there. We don't post those kind of pictures. And even the pleasant moments we post aren't real. They're not the real us. I can post a picture of you or of me online and I can uh, apply a whole variety of filters to that picture. And in that picture, I can remove every single blemish, all of the skin texture, all of my tone, every single scar. You can do that too. And basically you can post a picture that makes you seem perfect. Basically, you can remove everything on your picture that makes you, you. And we would say, oh, that's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. What a beautiful photo, but it's not real. See, grace is the unfilter. 
The world offers you a filter so that everything you project outwards tends to look good. But grace isn't concerned whether you look good. Grace is unfiltered. And so grace wants to make sure that you are good. Grace is God saying, I know you have blemishes. I know you have scars. I was with you when you got that one. I see the scar. I know that scar is on your heart. And so God already knows the real you. And guess what? He still loves you. Period. That is grace. And grace is not just God loving us where we are. God, grace is also him applying his love in a way that we progress in our relationship with him. Grace is God saying, I love you exactly where you are, but I will not leave you where I find you. I will continually mold you. I remember the, the days when our sons were, were born. I remember and one, it was a nurse practitioner, and the other one, it was a doctor, and they handed our boys to us, and they said, here is your son, mom. Here's your son, dad. And over the years, I've also gained other titles, right? Dad, husband, son. In an instant, I became a husband. In an instant, I was a son and a father. But the same was true for that day a long time ago when I became a Christian. I think the one moment I was, but another moment, or one moment I wasn't, but another moment I was. And although the title came in an instant, the, the progression of being a better son, the progression of being a more loving husband, the progression of being a nurturing father, the progression of being a committed Christian has taken time. In a moment of grace, I became all of those things, but in a work of grace, I've become accustomed and grown to what all of those titles actually mean. No matter where I am in my life, no matter where you are in your life, grace will find you. And so our story from the Bible today is in Acts chapter 9. We were in Acts last week. Uh, so if you remember where to find Acts from last week, I want you to go ahead and turn there again. Remember, Acts is in the last uh, third or so of the Bible. And so if you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep going, you're going to end up in Acts, okay? And this is a story, Acts chapter 9, about a religious leader named Saul. And so this movement of Christianity is taking over the area and more and more people are converting over to Christianity and it's spreading over the entire region. And we find this religious leader named Saul, he is dead set against this movement. He doesn't want it to spread. He wants nothing of it. And he is trying everything he can to stop it. And so Acts chapter nine, verse one says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christianity, 
whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So let's just kind of pause here for a second. Saul is on his way to Damascus and grace found Saul. He wasn't looking for it. He didn't think that he needed it, but grace found him anyway. And he had this encounter with Jesus himself. Verse four, he, meaning Saul, fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse five, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now I want you to imagine this scene with me for a little bit. Saul, who is resolute on stopping this Jesus movement, was faced with the reality that everything that he had done is wrong and that Jesus is real. Jesus is spiritually alive. The Son of God is who he said he is. Can you imagine what Saul would have been going through those three days? I think Saul would have been haunted by all of the memories of the people that he had hurt, the harm that he had caused, the lives that he had ruined, the lives that he took. All to stop this, what he thought was this crazy movement of Jesus that he thought was all fake. He thought it was a lie and he thought it was just some crazy man that thought he was God. But in one moment he meets grace. And in one moment, he finds out just how wrong he was. And in that one moment, he finds out that Jesus is alive, where Jesus meets Saul, where grace finds you. And then on that third day of his day, there was a knock on the door there in Damascus. And this disciple named Ananias had come to see Saul and Ananias walked up to the man that was responsible for the maiming and the murder of his friends. And he walks right up to him. He lays his hands on Saul and he says, brother Saul, I've read this passage over and over, over the years, and I have passed by this truth every single time. Here is a man that was doing everything in his power to stop this movement of Jesus when he finds out that Jesus is very, very real. And for three days he sat in that house blind and tormented over all of his past transgressions. And I think that Paul or Saul would have been sitting there in that house wondering, how long is it going to be? before they find me, sitting there depressed, too distraught to eat, the pain that he caused, all because he thought that Jesus wasn't real. Oh, he was real, Saul. 
and he has given grace to a murderer. Can you imagine him in fear thinking at some point they are going to find me? At some point they are going to do to me exactly what I have done to them. At some point a Christian is going to find me in this house. And when one shows up, he walks up to the newest convert of Christianity, lays his hand on him and says, brother, brother Saul, that is grace. That is the bomb for Saul's soul. What an unmerited favor that God does for his people. And some of you are here today and you're afraid what God would think or you're afraid what others would think if they saw the real you. You think that you would be judged or ridiculed or scorned. And some of us here have very deep scars, emotional potholes, spiritual sinkholes, Perhaps that's how you see yourself as just a a whole collection of bad choices and decisions. But I'm here to tell you that in God's prevenient grace, he brought you here today. In God's prevenient grace, he had you turn on your television today. God in his justifying grace sees you exactly who you were made to be. He's asking for that scar. He wants that pothole. He wants to fill in that sinkhole. And he's saying to you, I already know about those things. So would you let me deal with them? You've carried them for too long. And God in his sanctifying grace is going to push you and mold you and train you and use you because he doesn't see who you were He sees you for who he has created you to become. And so I'm going to ask our our teens and the team to come on up again. I want you to lead us. They're going to lead us in a song called Broken Vessels. And there's going to be some familiar words that you're going to hear in this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And just like Saul, when he met grace, he realized that in spite of his past, he was a brother in faith. And he knew, or when he knew that God accepted him, not on the merit of who he used to be, but for who he was to become. And when that happened, God's word says the scales immediately fell from his eyes and he could see. You have been blind long enough. It's time to see yourself as God sees you today. I want you to sing this song. I want you to let the words uh, just assure you that grace indeed has found you today. And then we'll come back together celebrate in communion.
Let's pray together as we get ready for communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment. This moment today where provenient grace has brought us here. Where you have already worked in us. You've led us here. You've led us to this moment where we can meet grace face to face. Where we can come into your presence. And know, Lord, that you're not judging us. You're not condemning us but you're loving us. And Lord, you're also not, ex- you're not just accepting us, but you're refusing to leave us the way that you find us. And so Jesus, as we come to your table, as we come to communion, and you love the way the church of the Nazarene looks at communion, that all are welcome to this table as long as we have called upon your name to be our savior. And so Jesus, maybe there is some here today or watching online that this is the first time they've understood that you love them. No matter what they've done in the past, no matter what they've done against others or against you, nothing has replaced your love for them. And so, Lord, maybe this would be the day that they could come to you for the first time and said, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace this morning. Thank you for loving me. Sorry for all the things that I've done, but I need you to accept me. I need your love. And I need you to make me into what I can't make myself. And so if anyone has prayed even that prayer with us this morning, you're welcome to come to the table of God. So Jesus, as we prepare ourselves and we open up our containers this morning and we take that bread from the top, may it remind us today that this is your body. It was crushed for us. And you told us, Lord, that whenever we eat of this, that we should remember you. And so Lord, we thank you for your provenient grace bringing us here, but we thank you for that justifying grace. That time where you placed your body, your life, in place of ours and your body was crushed and tortured and you died. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice for us. And so this morning, as we hold our bread, may we too break it and give thanks to you for what you've done. And we may eat. Lord, you don't stop with provenient grace. You don't stop with the justifying or saving grace. But Lord, you meet us with a sanctifying grace. And so Lord, as we continue communion, we're reminded that this represents your blood 
that is poured out that makes us pure. Lord, that's a journey. Lord, may today be a day where we give ourselves over completely to you entirely in this moment. May you have everything that we know, everything that we don't. May we give you it all today. In our church, we would call this moment sanctification, where we give you all that we are, knowing you have already given us all of you. And so Lord, today, may we come to your table and partake in this juice that represents your blood and your sanctifying grace in our lives. And all of us may drink. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving us enough to bring us here, for loving us enough to pay the price and to save us, but for loving us enough that you continually mold us through your grace. You truly, Lord, are the only one who is worthy of our praise. Lord, would you join us together as we continue to sing. And we love you, Jesus. And all of us say it together.
Jesus, thank you for meeting us with your grace today. Thank you for loving us enough that you would not see us for who we are, but for who we are meant to become. Lord, I pray for our congregation, those that are here today and those that are watching online. I pray, Lord, that at every step of our journey that you would continually remind us that you are meeting us where you find us with grace and with love. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what we are to become. Lord, be with us now as we go on our separate ways. Keep us safe, Lord, as we return home. But Lord, also remind us that we can be that grace to someone else. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us said together, amen. Thank you. Love you. You're dismissed.